The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello, I'm your host, Peter Strachan. Welcome to this Stockhead Rock Yarn. Today, Stockhead is delighted to welcome the Managing Director of newly listed and uranium-focused Kingsland Minerals into the studio. Richard Maddox is a geologist who has worked in both development and production of gold and nickel mines in Australia, Papua New Guinea and South America. Hola, Richard. Hey, Peter. How's it going? <laughs> well, thank you. Kingsland listed with a suite of permits in north and central parts of the Northern Territory around the historical gold fields of the Pine Creek region and away from the well-known uranium hunting grounds of Alligator River province to the north. What is the history of uranium exploration on your permits and where will the company focus its early efforts? Well, Peter, uranium was first discovered on our tenement areas on our Alamba project, which is about um, 30 or 40 kilometres to the um, east of um, Pine Creek uh, towards Kakadu National Park. The, the first discovery there was in the early 1980s through ground reconnaissance of um, aerial uh, radiometrics. Um, it was uh, Total Energy was the company. I believe they were French-owned and they were a private company. They came through and they did a fair bit of drilling there. They did some internal um, resource work on the deposits there, which is now called what we call the Cleo Uranium Project. Um, and they delineated that in the uh, early to mid-1980s before they pulled out of Australia. Um, subsequently, after that, it was um, picked up by Atom Energy, an ASX-listed company. They did some more drilling in around 2005, 2006, uh, came up with some small sort of moderate-grade resources, um, and then they sort of transitioned out of that, and um, Thundalara Exploration picked up the ground. They did some more drilling, and again, they, they sort of pulled out after 2014 when the Fukushima uh, nuclear accident happened in Japan. Um, and it was subsequently, uh, they relinquished the ground and it was picked up by uh, Trafalgar Resources who vended it into Kingsland. So it's had a fairly long history of exploration for uranium, but it's always sort of been half done and then it's been stopped through drops of uranium price and things like that. So there's a, there's a, a large body of data which we're going to follow up on um, and we're pretty confident we can expand on what's been done in the past and, um, and find a lot more mineralisation there. Yeah, it's an interesting ground. I've, I've walked over it many times uh, you know, in the gold boom times. And I think a lot of times, just like on the Gawler Craton, people were doing geochemical drilling, uh, auger drilling, and um, often you know, they're looking for anomalous uh, gold or base metals. And you know, all of a sudden they come up with a bit of uranium and go, oh, let's look at that too. So I guess mm. there's a bit of that as well. So what's Kingsland's prime prospects that the investors should be watching for activity on over the next uh, 12 months or so. Yeah, well, our prime project, like I mentioned, is the is the uh, Cleo uranium deposit as part of our uranium, uh, part of our, our Lamba project. Now, there's been the, the first batch of drilling done by Total Energy there about 30 or 40 years ago. They didn't assay the holes. They just did downhole gamma surveys and, and transformed counts per second into assays and things like that. So a lot of that data, um, we can't um, find the original transformation um, formula for that. So we can't use that data. The, the recent holes that Atom Energy did in 2005 were only 60 metres deep, um, so they're fairly shallow. Most of them are still in the oxide zone. Thundalara did a few holes with some good results, and they're the ones we're interested in. And they did that drilling in around 2011 or 12, 13. And they've got hits there, you know, with um, intersections like, you know, 40 metres at 611 ppm uranium oxide. 
Um, there's some high-grade zones there averaging up to 2,500 ppm. So we're pretty keen to follow up on those holes there and, and develop a geological model. They they started doing the work and didn't finish it because the uranium price dropped. So we're going to come in and finish that off and and uh, and, and you know, work out exactly where the the driving you know geology factors are for the mineralization there and, and where it is and come up with a good model there and, and expand that um, potential resource. So Richard, uh, is this a hard rock geology or are we talking about sedimentary deposits in that region? Well, it, it, it's a combination there. Like I said, and the geology still isn't well understood. There is, um, there's definitely some rebermalization of uranium in, in the, uh, the highly weathered um, zone in the top 30, 40 metres. Um, and as you get further down, the, the main host rock is uh, carbonaceous sediments of the Masson formation. And within that, you've got uh, some intrusive dikes, you know, felsic granite dikes. So uh, it, it's the uh, NT Geological Survey classifies it as a vein-hosted deposit. But again, there are aspects of, um, re, you know, oxide remobilization deposits you have got um, different rock types within that sedimentary sequence, so I'm not, it's not quite an unconformity type of situation, but you've got um, complications there with uh, different uh, rock units of um, more calcareous rock units, and also you've got the uh, complexity of some faults and also the uh, intrusive dike. So it's a complicated geology, which we'll work out. Uh, there's been no quadrilling done into it, or nothing recently. I think maybe Total Energy did one or two holes about 40 years ago, but... Um, it's all, it's all RC drilling, so we're going to go up there first up and drill some core holes and get a very good understanding of the geology and, and work out what's driving some of these you know, pretty high grades of uranium. I guess the good thing is you've got some walk-up targets that, due to the work that's been done by others, so you know where to go. That's right, yeah. Yeah, with your background in gold geology, uh, clearly there may well be some opportunities to seek out some of the yellow metal there. Will that also become a sort of secondary focus for you? Oh, look, it is. On, on, on the other project that, uh, at Woolney, which is to the south of Pine Creek, there's um, some old workings there from 120-odd years ago um, into some quartz veins. Uh, there were some smaller programs of diamond drilling and RC drilling back in the 1980s uh, with, some, you know, with some good results. You know, you've got uh, some you know, multiple metres at you know, 10 gram plus type of intersections, which haven't been followed up. So we're pretty keen to go in there and um, do some more, you know, some deeper follow-up drilling and, and try and uh, work out the geology there. It appears to be a fairly typical uh, sedimentary hosted deposit, like most of them are around the Pine Creek area. So it's pretty underexplored. So we're pretty confident we can go through in that and, and hopefully um, grow the footprint of that one as well. Um, and, and that's the gold side of things. There's also a copper as well. Um, I, I, I didn't uh, mention before, but the original exploration done of the Lamba was actually for copper exploration. And so there's, there's a fair bit of work there too, historic databases of copper um, soil surveys and some drilling as well. So that's also something else we can follow up on. Yeah, that was my next question. What other minerals will be explored for? So there's some copper potential along with the gold. Is there anything else that uh, has been found previously? Well, you've got um, down at the Mount Davies project, there's some historic base metal workings there, you know, targeting copper and zinc. Um, there's been, you know, the most recent drilling there was probably about 20 or 30 years ago. So there's targets there we can follow up on. Um, up at the Shoebridge project as well, um, there's some interesting suite of, um, you know, uh, uh, minerals there we can look at. Uh, probably the main one we can, where it's pretty early stage yet, uh, we own the northern half of the um, small Shoebridge um, intrusive granite there. Um, now, to the south of that, there's been a lot of historic work done on, on some pegmatites targeting uh, tin and tantalum. Um, I think uh, if you look at core lithium recently picked up that tenement to the south of us with the intention of, I guess, looking for um, lithium in those pegmatites. So... That's another target for us too, um, to, to the um, to the north of that intrusive, to see that if there are any pegmatites there to the north, 
and um, if there are, what's in them. So it's early stages, but it, it looks like a fairly positive um, exploration target. Yeah, it's, a, it's sort of probably fair to say you're a fair way south of Bachelor where those VMS-based metals deposits and copper deposits are, mm-hmm. are located, yeah. Uh, how do you see the uranium market evolving, Richard, in a post-Ukraine war environment and a decarbonising world? Well, you know, the, the price started rising last year before um, Russia invaded Ukraine. So I think it was recognised that there, there is a supply sort of squeeze coming up possibly with, with uranium. You know, and that that's exemplified in that um, you know the uh, the uh, spot um, uranium uh, physical trust there um, buying a lot of uranium last year and forcing the price up, uh, and I think you know the added complexity now with uh, Russia invading Ukraine just adds to the, the uh, uh, fairly complicated picture of um, energy politics into the future. Uh, you know, uh, things like you know gas pipelines into Europe being cut off and and things like that, obviously. Um, increase people's anxiety about uh, energy security. So I think going forward, and I haven't even mentioned the, you know, any uh, climate change greenhouse gas issues yet, just with energy security itself, I think, um, and Europe being a very large complex market and you know, tended in the past to becoming more reliant on Russian gas. If, if that um, changes, obviously other power supplies have got to be considered. And, and I think there's there's been talk about um, you know, Germany even reverting back to some of their coal-fired power stations to to um, fill the gap. But uh, uranium will play a big part, I think, in Europe, especially. Yeah, and I know in Austria they're recommissioning uh, coal-fired power stations, and Germany is uh, delaying any uh, decommissioning. I think of the three existing uranium. Uh, generators and they may even recommission the three that have been decommissioned and in Japan because they're paying 20 or 30 dollars a gigajoule for liquefied natural gas they're uh, hastening the re-commissioning uh, of their fleet of uh, power stations. Mm, that's right and if you look at Japan now in the middle of a hot summer they've got power shortages there so they re, you know, they need to generate more power and, and obviously um, they've got a lot of nuclear reactors which have been on uh, were shut down, I think, or on, on light duties for quite some time since Fukushima. So I think they'll be considering firing those things back up to full steam again. Yeah. Um, and I think also going forward, you know, with, with greenhouse gas emissions as well, um, you know, some of the larger developing economies, China, India, et cetera, uh, will also be looking towards uh, uranium as a uh, major source of power because it, 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 it does provide a, a certain degree of energy security um, if you can supply your um, power sources from a diverse range of markets, and obviously uranium adds to that diversity and uh, will be part of the mix going forward, I think. Yeah, it's going to be very hard for places like China to meet their uh, greenhouse gas commitments without um, a strong focus on uranium. And mm. because, yeah, you said the spot prices rose from $30 or below $30 a pound and briefly over 60 I think they're currently about 48 49 uh, but the spot prices really don't really reflect what's going to happen in the contracted market. I think the prices will be even higher for contracted mm. supply. So will the company undertake any work on its WA permit in the southern gold fields? And what's the potential seen for lithium or nickel on uh, mineralisation in, in that uh, permit? Well, the late Johnson tenement, it, it, it was picked up. You know, our initial focus was nickel on that. Um, it's there's some some faulted off uh, segments of the late Johnson Greenstone belt up up in there, and there's been historic exploration there has picked up some um, some moderate grade nickel in the uh, the top thirty or forty meters. 
There's uh, a couple of uh, deeper EM targets there which have not been followed up by previous explorers. So we intend to do that and see if we can look for any nickel sulphide um, mineralisation there as well. And going through the historic data, we noticed there were uh, several old holes there which had been logged with pegmatites in, in the drilling. Um, we've just gone down recently and cleared the old track so we can access to see what uh, is left of those holes, to see if there's any spoil piles there we can have a look at and um, actually confirm the existence of pegmatites for a start and if they are there to sample them. So, you know, it's it's obviously there's potential there for nickel because there's historic drilling there which confirms that, but um, there's also indications that there could be pegmatites there as well. And given the um, the, uh, the recent history of pegmatites in that part of the world, it's probably something we, we should be uh, following up pretty quickly, I'd imagine. Yeah. So, Richard, I guess down to the nitty gritty for investors is, um, you know, you hit the ASX with probably just over $4 million in the bank. Uh, what's your budget for the current financial year, which will be the 2022-23 year? And where will the funds be applied? I mean, I guess you'll be going up into the Northern Territory during the current winter dry season, trying to get as much done there before the rains come down in sort of November. Yeah, that's right. The, the, the main focus now will be the, the uranium at the Clio deposit on the Alamba project. And um we're, we're just in the final stages now of getting the uh, government approvals um, for that one there. So we're, we're looking at drilling perhaps in the next four to six weeks up there, and that'll be our main focus there. We've got a program of about 4,500 metres of um, RC and diamond up there, which will take us through for probably, you know, towards September, October, something like that, say, um, which is getting towards the end of the dry season up there. Um, and again, most of the projects there, you, you are limited in what you can do in the wet season. So between, say, um, October to about May, it's, it's, it's more difficult to do exploration. Um, and that's one of the other sort of motivations of getting a project in Western Australia was that so we can then transfer our work down to the Lake Johnson project and, um, and look at the uh, nickel and lithium potential there. So I'd expect, um, you know, like you said, we there's about $4 million in the bank. Um, I think the next 12 months we'll probably be looking at around, you know, one to one and a half million dollars on, on exploration on those two major projects. And obviously, uh, once we get the results back from the first stage, we'll review it after that and, and see where the priorities lie. So, Richard, are you going to do any air core drilling or, or will it all be RC drilling in the Northern Territory? And where will you take those samples? Is there a laboratory in, in Darwin that can help you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, it, it'll be uh, for the uranium, it'll be all be RC and, uh, and diamond. And there's labs in Darwin that can do all the assaying for us there. Uh, and there's, there's also a lab in Pine Creek, which we'll probably use for some of the base metal mineralisation, you know, copper and gold, things like that. So I think um, there's enough labs there to, to handle that work. Air core programs might be um, something we consider or, um, at Lake Johnson, perhaps, just to, to see what the surface geology is there. Um, maybe auger sampling to check for um, anomalism associated with pegmatite. So... Uh, but you know, the main push will be RC and Diamond in the ENT. So your uh, news flow will be, I'd imagine, fairly quiet in the September quarter while you're up there drilling. But then when you get to October, November, the results will be coming through uh, from the labs. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what the turnaround time is at labs now in, 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 in Darwin. It's, it's a long time in some of the labs here in Western Australia. But um, I, you know, the, the drilling will be around sort of July, August um, and then results, say, September, October. So I think coming into maybe very late the September quarter, but most of it will be the December quarter this year for results from the Northern Territory and even possibly some um, some results from early exploration work at uh, Lake Johnson as well. Yeah, so I guess um, that's the, the news flow. And then when you follow up on those results early in um, the 
2023 calendar year, you'll be going back to the areas where that have shown some promise with the work that is going to be done over the next two or three months. Mm, that's right. I, th- I think um, the first phase of drilling here for the uranium up, up at Alamba is uh, really to look at the geology. Um, so we'll be drilling a few um, holes into the previous areas uh, to work out uh, the geology from the old RC drilling, uh, try and get together some models there. Um, you know, we've got some good backup here with some good people who, with um, some good uranium experience who can help us out with um, some of that geological modelling. And that'll uh, enable us to focus on programs for the next drilling season. Um, we're really the aim is now, like you said, like you said before, it's, it's been discovered already, a lot of the mineralisation. So we know where it is. It's a walk-up target. The next stage is really to prove it up and, and get a mineral resource out of it. And that'll be our focus on that second stage of drilling which we, we might get some of that in late this year, but I, I, I'd imagine most of it would be in the next uh, dry season coming into, say, um, April, May 2023. So, Richard, I mean, on a more speculative note, I mean, when you look at the uh, extent of the mineralisation that's been found, the sort of aerial extent and the grades and so forth, what sort of target has the company sort of developed in its own mind saying, you know, we think we might have X million pounds or X million tonnes of of resources here. We just got to go out and follow it up. Yeah, look, it's, um, we haven't got a firm number on that. And, you know, and, and I won't talk numbers now because it's, you know, nothing's really jaw compliant at this stage. No. But if you look at the drilling that's been completed to date, um, there's been three sort of uh, prospects delineated by the old explorers or previous explorers. That's Twin and Dam and Cliff South. Now, the the um, extent of those things along strike, I think, is close to about um, one and a half kilometres. Um, you know, and if you look at some of the, the better drilling intersections down hole, they might be 20, 30, 40 metres wide. You know, so yeah. you, you can sort of work out yourself there what sort of dimensions you're looking at there. Um you know, and at this stage, you know, given the grades we, that we've seen so far, we probably won't be drilling much below 200 metres vertical depth at this stage. We'll be fo- focusing on the shallow mineralisation, which is more exploitable for open cut mining methods. Um, you know, and so that's sort of a, an idea of the, the size at the moment. But obviously the intent is, to, once we understand the geology, is to grow that as well. Because the drilling to date has been focused on some fairly small areas and we're pretty confident we can expand that footprint. Richard, that sounds like you've got your next 12 months pretty well mapped out, um, going to be pretty busy, and uh, wish you all the luck with that drilling. It sounds like you've got some really good targets to go straight up and, and hammer. So thanks for coming in today to Stockhead on this rock yarn, and uh, we'll be looking forward in the December quarter to counting the, uh, the results as they come through. No worries, Peter. Thank you very much, and I'm looking forward to talking to you in a few months' time with some, uh, some good high-grade uranium results. 